everyone. Welcome to the Integrated Interventions Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler C., and this week on the show, we sat down with the Director of Operations, Corey Kuhayana, and the Program Director, Chris Garrett, to talk about what it looks like when a student first comes to Integrated Interventions and how that interaction happens between parents, the program, and maybe even some of the frequently asked questions that have been asked in the past. We also talk about and give tips to family members as they walk along in this process with their student. So let's get into this episode with Chris Garrett and Corey Kuhayana. All right, so today we are talking with Corey Kuhayana and Chris Garrett. And today's subject is family resources. We want to talk to the families and explain or, I guess, give some um, enlightenment on what it's like for the families when they send their student to um, integrated interventions. Uh, A lot of times we will see this, um, maybe, I don't know if disconnect is the right word, um, but we just want to make sure that there are no unanswered questions or even uh, we just want to put information out there so if people are looking at integrated interventions as a place that they want to send their student, they can kind of know what to expect. So, um, Chris, when a, when a student first comes in, can you kind of break down what that looks like, even from like a just, just getting information stage? Sure, sure. So from a, I guess, looking back from a standpoint of how the student enters the program first, I mean, students come from a variety of different circumstances when they first come into the program. Oftentimes we like to meet the student and the parents prior to them entering the program um, and then sending them home so the student has time to think about it and, and you know, make that decision with the parents. So uh, sometimes, you know, if the student isn't in another program prior to us, they're already home, they're with parents, we want to meet with them first. We want to have, a, we want to talk about the program, introduce them to staff members and coordinators. Um, and then send them home and let them talk about it and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one scenario. Another scenario is we may have a student come to us from a wilderness program or another program where things weren't quite clicking. Um, and that can look a lot different because oftentimes we won't get a meeting with parents or student prior to entering the program. Um, but, you know, in, in the ideal situation, we'll, we'll have that meeting first. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So then, I, I mean, transitioning on then, what you can expect if you come here with your student, um, you're going to meet with myself, generally speaking, Terry Edelman, the owner, uh, as well as possibly Corey and you, Tyler, mm-hmm. um, to talk about the program, to talk about uh, spiral dynamics and, and how we measure growth in the program, mm-hmm. which is a, quite a bit different than most other programs out there. So let's let's break that down a little bit. Um, yeah. how, how do we... Um, measure growth. How? What can you? Uh, let's let's start with spiral dynamics because mm-hmm. that's a, a term that we use here a lot, um, and that me, it holds a lot of weight. In that, um, actually, I'll just let you go ahead and look through it <laughs> as a, before I talk too much. Mm-hmm. No, that's 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 totally fine. So yeah, so spiral dynamics is a develop a developmental model, and we use spiral dynamics to to measure growth in different areas. So it's, it's a nice model to use because it, you can utilize it with a business, you can utilize it with an individual person, you can utilize it with any system to measure growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes students come into our program uh, at a very, uh, emotionally speaking, low level of growth. And we're trying to, of course, boost that up. But then we're also looking at all the other aspects of their life. So the best way to learn about spiral dynamics is really reading about it. Uh, there's a book by Don Beck uh, titled Spiral Dynamics mm-hmm. that, that anybody can get. Um, 
as well as tons of things on YouTube and resources online to learn about spiral dynamics. But the way we utilize it is, is looking at core areas that the student focuses on and functions in. So mm -hmm. their hygiene, uh, diet and exercise, um, work ethic, you know, especially whether they're able to, to look for, obtain, obtain work, finding jobs in the community, that sort of thing. Um, and just keeping their areas clean, mm -hmm. you know, so, so it can get super basic. Um, but as the student progresses, we can definitely ramp it up and look at other areas that, that they may need to develop, whether it's spirituality or, or finding community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for so. sure. So, um, and then kind of going back into what you were talking about before, once they come here and they kind of, um, are in the, I guess that first stage where we're kind of seeing where they are, uh, what does that look like from a kind of parent's point of view, especially for a parent not really being here? Um, what what do you think a lot of parents are experiencing at that time? Well, I think most of the, from, from my experience, most parents are experiencing probably m more panic and separation anxiety mm -hmm. oftentimes than the students are. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, so it's important for us to be communicating with parents right up front. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, we almost always ask parents to have a 30-day calm hold mm -hmm. where they're not talking to their, their child mm. um, or their adult child. So, so that 30 days can be nerve-wracking for most parents, mm -hmm. um, but it helps us establish a relationship with the student where they're reaching out to us for help as opposed to having mom and dad solve their problems. Mm. Oftentimes, parents will come in and say, you know, we're tired of, of jumping in and solving our, our child's problems, but as soon as a problem comes up, they're like right there, and yeah. that and that can be pretty detrimental to the student growing on their own. Yeah, and what can you can you speak about that a little bit? And in, in what way, like, uh, or even Corey, like, what have we seen um, as far as uh, not necessarily an example, but uh, what do we see when that a parent or even a, a, a student can't let go of that relationship for those thirty days? Mm, you just uh, and I know in most of my experience you're the whole point of what they're trying to do is to continue um, working within a system that has failed them repeatedly. Mm. And to me, it is more of like, a, it's reflexes. It's not even that they truly want it. I think parents genuinely want to have that broken off mm -hmm. um, until it happens and their automatic reflex is, I need to be there for my kid. And so I think some of them, it's, it's built up over time of having having to be there for somebody in a, in a special way or an extra way, mm -hmm. um, maybe than even some of their other children. Um, but then also there's, there's parents who get so much anxiety and general fear that if they aren't present, mm -hmm. then they're not going to make it. And so mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the, the tough part like the, of it is there's just so much time and, and worry and, and effort built up that they feel like, they can't not be a part of the equation when it comes to getting better. So I'm, I don't know. You can give a little yeah. more insight to that. Yeah, for sure. So so if I think of a, the most basic example of this, say you have a student in the program for a week and it's their day to go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten, parents aren't going to know that it's their day to go grocery shopping, especially if they're abiding to the com communication hold. Mm -hmm. um, but something happens. Um, staff aren't able to take the student grocery shopping that day. Student reaches out to parents and says they're not doing what they said they're going to do. We're supposed to go grocery shopping. I'm starving. Mm -hmm. And parents call the director or a coordinator and say, hey, what the heck's going on? Why aren't you guys shopping? My kid's going to starve. Mm -hmm. Well, 
number one, we've never had a student starve in the program. Right. That it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. They, they always get food, yeah. <laughs> and and usually it's a lot healthier and uh, you know a lot better than what they were doing prior to coming to the program. Um, but it's the student's way of of ramping up parents to cause anxiety so that they um, ultimately will will try to manage the student's affairs so the student doesn't have to address uh, the staff. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing parents can do in those situations is either A, not respond at all, and if you are going to respond, you refer the student back to the program and say, if that's a, a problem with the program, you should be talking to them about it, not me. Mm. I'm not solving your problems anymore. Yeah. So th- that's, that's a very basic example, but it's a really common one that can ramp up over time if parents continue to jump in and try to rescue their kid. To learn more about Integrated Interventions, feel free to visit us on our website at integratedinterventionsllc.com. You can also give us a call during the day at 208-651-0095 or reach us via email at info at integratedinterventionsllc.com. Let's get back into the show. So before we uh, kind of took a break there, one of the things that we were talking about were um, a parent gen- um, essentially having to drop their kid off or us going to get their kid, but basically putting a kid, their kid or their young adult uh, into our hands. And uh, so I'm not a parent, but you all are. And so I can't imagine um, I, me personally, I think about having kids and dropping my kid off at kindergarten and wanting to peek in the door because I'm like, yo, who is this person who is now in control of my kid? But can you all speak to maybe some of the parent um, concerns in that regard? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I'll, I'll kick it over to Corey here in a second. But so so this whole process of dropping your kids off, like I've, I've got three kids of my own, mm-hmm. you know, the oldest is 16, youngest is 10. Um, and I've had many of those experiences where I do drop my kids off and have to trust, uh, that where I'm dropping them off, the people that are going to be around are, are decent people and going to be doing the right thing with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I don't, you know, it, so, so I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important for parents to communicate with, with myself and Corey, um, to, to learn more about what it is we do. Um, that can happen on weekly phone calls or every other week phone calls. Um, if not more initially, you know, if we set it up that way. Um, so, so yeah, totally nerve wracking and we get that, um, at the same time, generally this is something that they've done before as well. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's like past trauma associated with dropping their kids off at a place, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if they, if, if the trust isn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so really building trust and and giving trust to us, we realize that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, 100% 100% necessary for the growth of the of the student. Yeah. Without it, we run into pitfalls for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I mean, just to continue on that note, that's it's not something I think I've ever taken for granted when it comes to people entrusting you with loved ones. Like mm-hmm. that's what it is. And so, not having um, as old of children or, or young adults that of my own, but I have you know two daughters, and and uh, I can't imagine ever feeling like I would be comfortable saying um, I shouldn't be there right now and their lives helping out. Mm. Um, and that's where, to me, I think you have to redefine what help is if you're in this situation where you've needed to seek out external treatment or external help is help no longer is what you can do as a parent. It's mm. in, in the sense of you having to be in directly involved in their lives. Help is being able to say, uh, I don't have the answers, nor do I have the tools to do this 
and I need help mm. and then trusting that help. Yeah. Like that's the most, the most successful people or students I've ever worked with um, have come from parents who understand their role. And by no means do I think that's an easy task or do I think that's um, something that you should just be like, yeah, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But at the same time too, when you um, start to trust and you get to know who we are as individuals mm -hmm. and you can, you know, start to build some of those things and realize there's going to be hard times. That's what change is about yeah. is about things that you have to redo or, or adjust that there's going to be some pain in it. But when you work with um, the program, the way it's intended to, that change comes way quicker mm -hmm. and, you know, you give it a chance to actually take shape versus, um, somebody who wants to always be involved in every decision, mm -hmm. understanding that's the same pattern that did not work previously. Yeah. Um, and I get that, you know, so on that note as well, um, and maybe something we can kind of dive into is, uh, how important it is for parents to self care through that process, through therapy or, um, you know, counseling and being able to express that because we're not always going to be the best resource to express all of those concerns. And, and we don't have the time because we're working with students mm -hmm. to sit there and therapize everybody that comes through here. We want to update you and reassure you and empower you to do those things. But it's very important um, for, for parents to take care of themselves at home yeah. while their, their child's here. Maybe Chris can speak a little more yeah. on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we are a transition program. So when you take a step back and, and look at development, life development, anybody going through a transition like this, where they're transitioning from child to young adult, mm -hmm. is going to struggle. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a painful process. I think we can all look back at our own transition from, from child to young adult mm -hmm. and, and think of a lot of things that didn't go great. Right. <laughs> okay, sure. And I guarantee my parents struggled with that process as well. So, so it's natural, it's normal for parents to have a really hard time with this period in their child's life because, number one, there's the empty nester side where they used to take care of the child at home and they were involved in everything. Um, now their relationship has to change. And anytime you're changing a relationship like that, it's going to be painful. It's going to, it's going to hurt. There's going to be times where it's fantastic because you see your child succeed at something that they hadn't before. Mm -hmm. um, but, but generally that comes with a lot of pain. And like Corey said, we encourage all parents to be doing their own work at home mm -hmm. um, and not even have it associated with us. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to be focused on them, it, not focused on their child, not like uh, family therapy over the phone or any of that kind of stuff, because mm -hmm. that's, that's not where they're at at this point. They're, they're trying to transition the child out of the home, um, not bring them closer. Mm -hmm. So, so that type of work definitely needs to be going on behind the scenes and you will be more successful as, as a parent of a young adult, mm -hmm. if you undertake that kind of treatment yourself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. self-care is huge. And then trying to develop a type of trust in the program that allows you to, to let the program handle the problems and not jump in. Even if your child seems to be in pain or suffering, we, we want you to trust that we're here to help with that process. And sometimes that process is necessary to, to get growth. Yeah. Now, do you, think there's a, do you think there's any difference between the relationship that we see uh, in that regard, in that context, between like a um, parent versus like a guardian? Yeah, oftentimes with, with guardians, we don't see as strong of an emotional connection mm -hmm. with, with the student. And, and because oftentimes in those situations, either um, it's a family member like a cousin or an, uh, an aunt or an uncle that mm -hmm. have been caring for the child. And oftentimes they weren't directly involved 
in their life initially. Um, So those bonds, those connections are not as strong and, and they're often able to um, step back much easier Mm. and allow the program to, to do what it does. Mm -hmm. And, And in those cases that, it makes it easier for the program to, to move along quicker with the student mm-hmm. um, because we're not running into obstacles that come from over-communication with parents or parents trying to manage the program for the students. Right. And, and then another question uh, that I was thinking about as you, as you all are talking is, Chris, you mentioned like uh, weekly updates. Um, can you kind of go into what some of those weekly updates look like? Yeah. So the weekly updates generally happen with myself or Corey. Um, and, and the types of things that we talk about on those updates are, uh, letting you know, you know, what's going on with your student in terms of their work ethic. Are mm-hmm. they, are they developing that? Are they working out at the farm? Did they apply for jobs this week? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, we'll also definitely talk about problems that come up during the week as well. So parents have a good idea of, of what, what's still being struggled with, mm-hmm. um, we don't sugarcoat things on our on our updates, so you know it's important for parents to know that. Mm-hmm. I, I know in other programs and, and other times, the, the parent update is more to finesse the parents mm-hmm. and, and let them you know and try to try to help them uh, feel like there's nothing wrong happening and their student mm-hmm. is just progressing and you know it's a bunch of smoke a yeah. lot of times. So so we don't do that. Our our updates are very matter of fact and and we'll tell you exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And my my word of advice to parents is. You know, there's always a knee-jerk reaction to blame program or staff for a problem. Mm. Um, but nine times out of ten, the student is creating their own problem, mm. and it's important for them to realize that and take ownership over that, um, so that so that we can work with them. Yeah. One, two, three, to get a better idea of what the day-to-day student life looks like here at Integrated Interventions, feel free to follow us on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at Integrated Interventions, and you can also search for us on Facebook by just typing in Integrated Interventions. We'll have links to both our social media information and our contact information in the podcast show notes, so feel free to click the links to find out more about our program. So going back into it, um, we, we talked before about um, the first 30 days and a lot of times what that will look like for uh, parents. And uh, Chris, can you speak a little bit to some of the expectations or even some of the um, misconceptions uh, that, that kind of happen within those first 30 days? Yeah, one of, the, one of the biggest misconceptions during the first 30 days is an expectation that most of the students' goals will be met rather quickly. Okay, we're, we're a long-term program. Mm-hmm. Um, most students come in and you should expect at least a year of, of work. Mm. And, and progress, real change doesn't happen quickly. Mm. It, it's slowly over time. That, that way it can be internalized. Yeah. See, and that's what I was going to ask. Like, why, why is that? Why, does it, why do they need to take that? Or why does it take that amount of time? It, it takes that amount of time because anytime you make a change, you need to repeat it yeah. over a, a long period of time before it really sets in mm-hmm. and becomes important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, an, another pitfall that I see that kind of goes along with that is parents expect that there are mentors with their student around the clock all the time mm-hmm. and that their student won't have downtime. Mm-hmm. Your student will have downtime, you know, unless uh, and even when. But unless they, we are staffing them twenty four seven, 
students, you know, general program 20 to 30 hours a week of one-on-one -on -one time, mm -hmm. which equals out to four to five hours a day. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at large chunks of time where your student may or may not have staff with them. Now, we always have staff on call for crisis intervention and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but those focused hours are for looking at the change or getting things done that need to be done that mm -hmm. aren't just fun. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hard for students. So that, that's, where, that's where they'll get the phone call from the student saying, oh, they won't, they won't take me grocery shopping today. Well, did you, did you clean your room? Mm -hmm. Did you even make your bed today? Now, if, if the answer is no, then yeah, maybe we didn't take you grocery shopping because mm -hmm. there are other things that need to be done first. Or, or did you ask to get taken grocery shopping? Did you notify anybody that you had a need or are you still expecting people mm -hmm. to fulfill your needs with them just thinking of you 24 seven? Because mm -hmm. that's what parents do. You mm -hmm. are thoughtful of your child. You understand your child in a way of you know when things are gonna happen. That's great, but it's not good when you give in to every single thing and now you've taken away uh, their independence of having to be responsible for themselves. Yeah. And so that's that part two where it's just like, you know, uh, where I think sometimes the, the fear of something not happening um, from a parent about their student gets quickly muddied up and their natural instincts is to go, oh my gosh, of course, you know, this is happening and I'm not there to solve it. So now I've got to go mm -hmm. call Chris. I've got to call Corey. I've got to call everybody I have the phone number to and right. look up their social media <laughs> to let them know, oh my gosh, my child's not eating. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. Um, another thing that happens often is is when a student chooses to express uh, to their parent what they're what they're doing and and not realizing like oh this is what they do this is a pattern for them since um somebody didn't get what they wanted now they're saying i'm going to you know take an extreme action or i'm going to run away mm -hmm. or i'm going to do anything knowing that there's going to be immediate response mm -hmm. while we may be seeing absolutely nothing on the other end of that yeah. um where we've had students say uh i'm in a crisis i need you to come get me i can't do this or i'm gonna go do this now because you won't listen to me mm. meanwhile they've had a staff the entire time right. that has been nothing but they've been nothing but pleasant with mm -hmm. um and so you know it's not that that way every scenario but i can't tell you how many times where the student will manipulate and take advantage of that relationship mm -hmm. for their own gain or to avoid something else that's difficult to change through. So um, I think that's a, a yeah. tough part of that. Which again goes back to the importance of that 30 days. Um, but I was gonna say one of the, one of the things that um, working in this field, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about our program is giving the students the ability, especially with the community-based mentoring program, like. We give the students the opportunity to fail, the opportunity to be bored, the opportunity to be effective with their time or not to be effective with their time. So if they um, live in Hayden and they want to be down here, they might have to learn how to ride the bus if they don't have staff. And if they don't know how to ride the bus, they might have to ask staff to teach, teach them how to ride the bus. And we're behind the scenes um, thinking about that beforehand in, in our in our weekly meeting, talking about how to effectively teach a student how to ride the bus or how to get to their appointments if they don't have staff at that moment um, or how to communicate with the appropriate person. Uh, but I love that we challenge our students to think about that, even though it can be scary for the parent. Um, Chris, do you have any other um, misconceptions uh, that parents or even um, expectations that parents might have 
um, coming in? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that comes to mind is um, Terry's often talking about this this exact scenario where you have a student that, that might be blowing you up, you know, as a parent, mm-hmm. talking about how um, how rough things are, how bad it is. Maybe they're saying they're suicidal in that moment, whatever that looks like, whatever they need to do to get the parents' attention. Mm-hmm. When you take away the the audience, really all you have is noise. Yeah. So the student is making a lot of noise, and if there's not an audience there to witness that, mm-hmm. then, then it's not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we oftentimes see parents, and, and, and mentors are guilty of, of this too because mm-hmm. we're you know, in an intimate setting with these students, um, but they will, they will ramp things up in an attempt to get the parent or the mentor to match that level of, of energy. Yeah. Um, when we don't match that level of energy, oftentimes it comes down mm-hmm. much quicker than if we match it because then they're going to ramp it up more and see how far they can push it. Um, so if we just take away the audience, which that's the attempt of the first 30 days, mm-hmm. take the audience away, let them blow up, um, allow that process to happen so that they can resolve it mm-hmm. and start working on life yeah. and, and not just coasting along having people take care of them. Well, can, yeah. can you speak a little bit to the crisis cycle? Because that's one of the things we talk about a lot of times in our, I mean, pretty much every week in our weekly um, staff training, staff meetings, we talk about the crisis cycle. And in my mind, I'm thinking like if parents also understood that, they could see kind of some of these patterns. So could you guys speak to that a little bit as well? Yeah, for sure. So, so oftentimes in the crisis cycle, what we see is you've got a student who's kind of trucking along, and oftentimes the first thirty days, we'll generally see this after about two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, where where they come in and they're they're just kind of level and doing all right, and maybe even feeling great about being in a new place. Yeah. Um, but then there will be a triggering event. Something will happen that mm-hmm. will set them off. Cigarettes. Cigarettes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Why don't I have my smokes yet? Yeah. Well, you guys are being so mean to me that I can't smoke and destroy my lungs. Yeah, mm-hmm. we feel horrible about that. By the right. way. Um, <laughs> And students can smoke in the program if they can afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so don't worry about that. Um, but we'll have that triggering event, and then all of a sudden we'll have an escalation of behaviors up to this culminating event of, you know, uh, I'm going to kill myself or whatever that looks like mm-hmm. um, before there's some type of a, a resolution or a downfall on the backside. Um, so, so, yeah, we're constantly dealing with that crisis cycle. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it, it can be very intense or it can be very mild. It, yeah. it just depends on the student and where they're at at the moment. Yeah, I think one of the um, – it's, it's always interesting, especially when we have uh, a new staff come in from what, whether they have experience in um, this type of program or a different type of program, on, like seeing what their understanding is for the crisis cycle and how they can – um, how they react to those stressful moments, um, even just in the interview process, like asking the question, how do you deal with conflict? Um, how do you uh, handle negative energy that comes your way? And that being able to see people and being able to train our staff on um, that crisis cycle, just that, okay, you obviously something happened. There's obviously a reaction. They're obviously getting um, escalated. Um, now, where are you in this moment? And are you getting just as escalated or are you just staying neutral um that's again that kind of goes back to um being in this in this industry that was one of the first things that i was ever taught in this industry is staying neutral um not being overly positive not being overly negative but being neutral because in those times of um stress or when that when a young adult's triggered um being able to just kind of be that just this is how it is 
um, always seems to bring uh, a young adult down or any of us. I mean, it's not just young adults. There, we, we all go through. There could be a guy at a restaurant who pushes your chair, and that was the day that them hitting your chair set them off. And, and that's something that um, all of us use all the time, like uh, road rage. Like mm-hmm. there's, there are plenty of situations where um, not just our students but all of us in life can use – an understanding of the crisis cycle. And actually what we'll do is we can put a example or we could put the, the little chart that we use for, to explain the crisis cycle and maybe some links to um, some literature on the crisis cycle and spiral dynamics in the, the show notes. So mm-hmm. make sure if you're listening that you go and check those out so you can learn a bit more about that as well. While you were talking, I was thinking about the crisis cycle and um, some of the things that we can do to kind of prepare ahead of time mm-hmm. for that. So, so we do a lot of training with staff on trying to, to, to nip it in the bud, you know, hit it before. If you see a trigger coming, if you know your, your student that you're mentoring and, and there's a trigger that, you know, sets them off every time mm-hmm. you want to try to avoid that trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the case that you do hit the trigger and they're escalating and, and this is, you know, where it's important for parents, like we're all hardwired to, match that person. So mm. if we see a person who is escalating, our brain is escalating at the same time. Mm. We may be able to stay neutral and do our best to stay neutral, but our brain, our mirror neurons are picking up what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and, and it's happening inside of us as well. So that's where it's important for parents to understand that, yes, it's totally natural for you to be ramping up mm-hmm. if your child is ramping up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where your own personal work in this area needs to come into play. Yeah. We do trainings with staff to help with this piece, to help them stay neutral parents don't have that training. Um, but if they're doing their work on the side, they can definitely talk to their therapist about it, about, you know, what do I do when my, when my child's ramping up and they're reaching out for help and I feel horrible inside. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, don't, don't match your, your child's level of distress. You need to remain calm and neutral. They need that from parents and staff Mm. to move on. Yeah. And that's one of the things I see a lot, um, through regardless of which program I was at, like the, um, deceptive tool of shame like students shaming their parents and how could you send me here like Mm -hmm. i feel bad my students reaching out to me they're in this situation what am i supposed to do like there's this um i I see it you see it a lot uh, where a student will shame their parent into Mm -hmm. changing the situation whether opposed to them just being angry and the parent not wanting to deal with anger that's a whole nother uh, I guess emotion, um, but is, can you have anything with that? Yeah, the, I mean, so we have a powerful tool that happens right when the student comes in the program. The student has to sign themselves into the program. Mm-hmm. Parents will sign the contract as well, mm-hmm. um, but the student is required to sign a contract saying that they will be here and and participate in the program. Yeah, that's a powerful tool for parents if they want to use it. They, mm-hmm. anytime a student accuses you of placing them here or making them stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, generally on the first day, that student makes a commitment to be in the program. Right. And it should always be turned back on the student. This this is not our decision to, to make you there. Yeah, we're paying for it nine mm-hmm. times out of ten. Um, but you agreed to go there, and you agreed to finish the program. So yeah. so that's well, what you're going to have to do. And what happens when they don't sign it? We don't, they don't, they're not allowed in the program. Well, and that's, that's the biggest piece. That's, yeah. that's right. what makes it important. You I know. just used this on a student. like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what... What I love about working for integrated interventions is that, um, you know, people are going to feel any certain type of way about 
sending somebody to somewhere and especially if they don't want to be a part of it and and that kind of just builds the guilt up mm. in the first place but what i love is that we we don't want to work with people who don't want to get better mm. and it's not any less or more of a challenge it, it is what it is based on their circumstance but um there's buy-in like that's what that whole situation is is you basically signing a, a thing that says of my own volition i choose to be here mm-hmm. um, so at any point you're upset with what you've come through um, I, I have students all the time. Well, I won't get, I won't, uh, my parents are going to cut me off if I, if I do that. And that's an easy point to go, well, that's a choice. Mm. So it doesn't matter. Like, you know, there's scenarios often where people have no money yeah. to be gained. You, so that's the thing. You felt pressured because that's what you wanted to do. Mm. If you said, I just want to be out, I don't want to deal with this anymore, then you would have just ran away already. <laughs> like You would have found a way to make it work out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when there's this, well, I didn't really sign in. Like, no, that's what that whole process was about was you committing to doing this. And so that's what I love about that is at no point they can say anybody tried to force them to do it. Anybody tried to, you know, do anything other than lay out the rules and say, this is, this is what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have all the, the reason in the world to want to do that because we don't have any desire to, to force something that was never agreed upon in the first place. So that's what I love about, about this. And that's, that's not often for, for some of the, um, in the treatment realm that I've seen that there's a whole lot of choice in some of them, Mm -hmm. some of them there are, but, um, that's what I enjoy about what we do specifically is, is we want everybody to be equally committed. Yeah. Um, to helping somebody out. So. This isn't a gooned program. <laughs> no, and, and ultimately, if you have a student who has the skills to make it on their own, mm-hmm. congratulations, you just graduated integrated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, if you can take off and do it on your own, we're happy for you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to try to hold you back from that. Yeah. If we truly feel like you, you will struggle with that, then we're going to try to keep you here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to try to teach you more. Well, um, yeah, and that's like the thing that I love. I love saying that to a kid more than anything else. Like when a, when a, when a student is saying, I'm just... I just want to leave. I just want to, I don't want to be around my parents anymore. I don't want to, you know, that there's this lashing out. Um, first, it seems like the first thing that happens is they lash against the program. So they contact parents mm-hmm. and then parents hold that ground. And then um, they lash against parents or parents don't hold that ground and they lash against parents. Um, and the best thing uh, that I've found and I've advised a lot of our um, team members to do is, if you don't want to go back home, let us teach you how to just do this on your own. Like right now, you know that you don't have the tools to be successful as a quote unquote adult. Let us help you. Like you're here anyways. Let us help you slowly walk you into adulthood so that if you want to go back to wherever you're from, but you just don't want to live with your parents, you have the skills to get a job, go and interview for that job fill out your application, do your resume, know what to wear, go in there, kill the interview, get the job, then wake up, go to the job, hold the job, pay your rent, pay your bills, pay your, you know, all of that stuff, then go to school. Like you, you have those steps that we can walk you through. So practice it while you're here. That way, when you go out there and you launch to go back to wherever you're from, you're ready to go and you don't have to be, um, you don't have to use your parents as a resource. And then it, that that relationship turns i was talking to some parents maybe a month or so ago and i was explaining that um balance between i think a lot of us get to this most of us get to the age where your parents stop being mommy and daddy 
and I'll, I'll preface that with I'm from the South, and I still call my parents mommy and daddy sometimes because it's maybe it's a Southern thing. It's definitely a Southern Any, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, there's this there's this place where you get. I think I was maybe like probably 25 because in your early 20s you know everything on the planet like you nobody yeah. can tell me anything when i was 22 23 but about 25 and not even my parents couldn't tell me anything but around 25 my relationship with my dad became more of a mentor mentee type of relationship i stopped seeing him as um daddy and started to see him as pops like hey uh, i i want to move states and i don't really know what that looks like as far as taxes and then our relation, our, our conversations became more of a, can you walk me through this process opposed to like the, the famous Corey Kuheyana integrated interventions quote, a leader um, shows you the way uh, a mentor walks you through that way. Did I say that right? I hope it's I said close. that right. Yeah. It's close. That's pretty yeah. much yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, <laughs> so in that way, um, I started to see my relationship with my father and I was explaining to some parents like we you, you will see the change in your relationship with your young adult uh, where you become a mentor and you're allowed to just walk with them through stuff instead of just like okay I'm just going to either do this for you or just like point you you know all of that yeah. stuff it's a, it's so so what age is that clinically healthy like mm-hmm. in the in the human growth like what's sure. the, the window of when that should be taking place Well, it can happen earlier. So, so I'm thinking like we have a student right now who's going to be moving into his, his own place here within about a month, month and a half. And he's, he's been in our program a rather short time, Mm -hmm. but he's ready. You know, he's ready to move on. Um, We've seen a change in his relationship with his parents to the point where parents are trusting him to take care of his own affairs here in town mm-hmm. um they tell him what he needs to do and tell him if he needs help they're there yeah but otherwise they back off and let him do the legwork mm-hmm. um so and, and this student's 18 mm-hmm. a fresh 18 at that and, and taking it on um but generally speaking you know you're going to look at brain development and you're looking at age 24 mm-hmm. you know before somebody developmentally is ready to really start changing that relationship with their parents mm-hmm. so um Nice thing about parents is they're they're all over twenty four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't met any parents under twenty four yet, so mm-hmm. so they can start making that change early on and modeling that behavior for their student, mm-hmm. um, so that it's not such a shock when when the student starts changing. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for sitting down with me and um, walking us through some more parent parent resources, family resources. People can always reach out to us here at Integrated Interventions. Um, All of our contact information will be in the show notes. You can also check us out on social media, on YouTube. You'll be able to see Corey and Chris's face and all of that stuff. Um, And also on our social media where we'll continue to post, especially on our Facebook, we want to post more um, helpful articles, whether it be understanding your young adult's diagnosis, whether understanding what kind of help you possibly could get, understanding um, uh, spiral dynamics or the crisis cycle. Um, Be sure to follow us all over the internet um, to get some more of those resources. But for a lot of that, you can look at our show notes. But we will talk to you next time.